Hi, I'm John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Maria Wickvilla, the founder of Applicant Lab and a Harvard MBA, and Caroline Diarty Edwards, the former admissions director at NCIAD and a founding member of Fortuna Admissions and a director there who also has an MBA from NCIAD. I'm the only one without an MBA, so how about that? <laughs> so we're, we want to talk today a little bit about the consequences of the coronavirus on admissions, primarily. As many of you know, a lot of schools have extended their round three or round four deadlines. Some have created new rounds to accommodate people who could not take the GMAT or the GRE and who just need a little more time. And in effect, they're protecting against problems in yield. That would be the people who actually get admitted, but who enroll. Those yield numbers are expected to be way down this year because a lot of international applicants who have been admitted may not be able to attend class due to travel restrictions and the inability to get a student visa. So how do you play this? Now, Maria actually built this elaborate flow chart. <laughs> now, none of you can see this, but Maria, why don't you take us through this? And actually, she's, she's done two versions of this flow chart. One, that completely mystified Caroline and myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then one more no-frill, stripped-down version, which apparently is much more simplistic and easier to follow, although I have not yet seen it. So bring us through this. Yeah. So I think the mistake I sort of made with my first flowchart is I was trying to use like the actual flow, like in flowcharts, there's like an official different shapes mean different things. And so I was like trying to adhere to that. But then I realized like, who cares? So I made a, I made a slightly prettier version of the same information where basically I was trying to think like, okay, I think there are a couple of key pivot moments that might happen in the next few months. And so I was trying to bucket them and say, okay, so first of all, obviously, if all of this gets resolved by August, September, things go back to, you know, as usual. And the only people who really lose out are the people who right now are hustling and trying their best to throw in these kind of Hail Mary round three or round four applications, right? Because if things go back to normal, then now the schools won't need to fill these spaces. And so people might have put in a lot of effort to throw in an application really for nothing. And then I just sort of walked through like, okay, if if no one is allowed to come to campus, what happens? And then if only domestic students are allowed to come to campus, you know, what happens? If domestic students, you know, I, I know Harvard has said, if international students cannot come to campus, they will be allowed to defer. But maybe some of the other programs might say, look, domestic students will be here in person, but perhaps international students can still join us for a semester, but they will just be online at first. And then hopefully as these restrictions are loosened, they will then be able to join us, but just perhaps maybe two months, three months, six months late. So that was pretty much, I was trying to think like, okay, what are those different paths? And then who are the winners and the losers in the different scenarios? Now, what your description of your flowchart tells me is that there's a great deal of uncertainty out there. We really don't know what's going to happen, do we? <laughs> no, we don't. And I put it like a little thing at the bottom. I'm like, this is as of April 6th. Uh, <laughs> coronavirus is changing every day. So let's talk about maybe uh, probabilities. Caroline, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> well, let me consult my crystal ball. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it's very likely that this will not be resolved for the start of the fall semesters, unfortunately for everybody. So I think that it's very likely that there will be online classes at the beginning of the academic year. And to me, the question mark is more, you know, how long will that continue? 
you know, I know that some schools are preparing for that to continue potentially for the entire year. Now, nobody wants that to happen. And I think that's unlikely, but it is a possibility. So, you know, a, a lot of uncertainty and it may be very difficult for international candidates to get to campus. So I think, you know, for those students, it's extremely likely that they're going to be doing a chunk of the year online. Okay, so given that prediction, what's your thoughts about yield and how that's going to impact the ability to get into a really good program if you apply in one of these extended rounds? Yeah, so I think schools are struggling a lot with yields right now. I think they're seeing people dropping out or, you know, pushing for deferrals. And so, you know, we've seen schools extending deadlines, creating new rounds of admission. And, you know, they're looking to fill that class for the fall. So, you know, right now where we stand and, you know, with our expectation of difficulties continuing into the fall, if you're prepared to take that risk and you're prepared to potentially start the program online and you're applying now, I think, you know, you've got an unprecedented chance of getting into a top program in these final rounds. And are there things that we need to know about applying in these extended rounds that would enhance your ability to get in? Yeah, so so I think the important thing is to take your time and prepare things carefully because, you know, typically in final rounds, schools see applications that have been thrown together at the last minute. So the quality of the average application in a final round is always a bit lower than in earlier rounds, because you get, you know, there's a batch of candidates who have prevaricated, who've been thinking about doing this, you know, for the entire season and finally can't put it off any longer and don't necessarily prepare things very well. So there's always a chunk of applications in that final round that are thrown together and rather poorly thought through. And you don't want to fall into that category. You know, even if the schools are struggling with yield and are in a very difficult situation and looking to fill their classes, if you're not well prepared, you're still you're still not going to get in. So just, you know, take the time to think things through carefully. And and many people do have some extra time on their hands right now if they're working from home or, or, you know, under lockdown. So just use that time to do your research, to think things through. And to be thoughtful about, you know, what is your fit for the program that you're applying to? You know, you don't want to look like one of these applicants who's just, you know, throwing in a, a scattergun um, applications all over the place and sending off the same essays to seven or eight different schools. You really need to tailor your application to the school that you're applying to. Marie, would you advise people to take advantage of an extended round at this moment if they were planning to, let's say, initially apply to round one of next admission season? I am absolutely, I mean, especially domestic candidates, clearly, right? Because there isn't going to be quite so much of a risk, but I do think everyone should go ahead and apply. I see it as essentially being risk-free. I think in typical years, I would very much tell people, look, don't even bother with round three. Just wait until round one. It's only like three or four months away. Hold your horses. But I think this year, given this wild uncertainty, I do think that there is, first of all, there are more opportunities than there have been before, as Caroline mentioned. And I also think, you know, if, and I would love to hear Caroline's perspective on this as a former admissions officer, but if I were an admissions officer, 
normally I would fault someone. If someone applied like in March and then reapplied in August, I would be like, oh, come on. Like, where's your self-awareness? Like, it's the same application. You're the same person. You're the same applicant. Nothing's really changed. And it would be irritated. I would personally get a little irritated. (laughs) But given the circumstances, I don't know that I would fault someone, especially if they work in an industry that might be facing layoffs soon. I don't know that I would fault someone for just, you know, throwing their hat in the ring now. Obviously not not being sloppy, but going for it. So given that I personally see very little downside and a whole bunch of upside, I am in fact telling people just go for it. And this is different than the traditional round three or round four in some cases where admission officers in the past used that round to sort of craft the class if they were short of technologists or short of, I'm just thinking, a gender issue or a minority issue or geographic diversity issue. That's where you fill in in that round, which is why it was not ideal to apply in the final round. This is totally different. It is. It's more uh, more like you know round one or round two. It's not like the previous final rounds for sure. So, you know, as you say, whereas previously admissions committees would be sort of cherry picking profiles at this stage to complement the rest of the class and round out their diversity. Now they need to fill some significant gaps in the classroom. And what about the wait list? Harvard Business School has said that it is going into the uh, last round here, which was just completed with a much larger wait list than it's ever had before. I'm assuming that most schools are in that boat to protect against the downside of bad yield. What do you have to say for people who are waitlisted? Yeah, there will be a lot more people on the waitlist, and that's never a, a nice position to be in, right? To be left in limbo and not know how long you're going to be left in limbo because, you know, it can run up just until a few weeks before the class starts. So, you know, if you do find yourself in that situation, you know, an important thing to keep in mind is that you need to communicate your ongoing motivation to the school. You know, my experience from managing a waitlist is that yield on those offers that you make to candidates who are waitlisted will always be lower on average than the yield on straight admits. And that's because, you know, waitlisted candidates will be making other plans, right? They're not sure if they're going to go to that school. So they're making, you know, they're putting in other applications, making other plans, maybe accepting other offers. So it's really useful for the schools to know if you are committed, if you're going to accept an offer, if they made you an offer. So keep in touch. You don't want to be a pest, you know, don't be calling them every day, but you know, every three or four weeks, touch base with a school, keep yourself on their radar screen so that they know that you're ready to jump in if they do make you a confirmed offer. I would imagine that schools are going to kind of dip pretty, pretty well into their wait list this time. Yes, they will. That's for sure. And, you know, certainly from earlier rounds, candidates who were waitlisted will, you know, I think there's going to be a very high percentage of those candidates who will receive offers now. So Maria, who's advantaged in these extended rounds? I would imagine you mentioned before, or it was Caroline who said it was domestic candidates, but I'm thinking, you know, if you have dual citizenship and you don't need a student visa and you're in mm-hmm. the United States, right. you might have an advantage even over a domestic student. Or if you live in Canada and qualify then as an international student who likely would have little problem getting into the country in the event that we even have on-campus classes in the fall. Yeah, and you're right. I should have, I I sort of used the word domestic in kind of a a general way. I I guess what I meant by that is people who are physically able to come to the campus in the fall should the classes be in the fall. So yes, that would be, you know, 
green card holders or people with dual citizenship or I think Chile, I believe you're allowed to come. <laughs> I, there's all these like random rules. But anyone right. who, who can physically make it to campus, I do think is at an advantage because, you know, there is so much uncertainty with if the schools do have to go online, which it seems like they are going to have to, at least at the beginning of the year, there are, I think, a lot of people who are going to say, you know what, I'm doing this degree for the in-person networking and the in-person relationships. I'm not going to get that same experience online. And so I'm just not going to go. And so I think there are going to be some yield issues. And so I think the biggest winners are people who are otherwise strong candidates who might have been waiting until round one, maybe people who are a little bit on the younger side. You know, we tend to tell people, you know, if you're if you're only sort of a couple of years out of school from college, we sort of tend to say to them like, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe wait a year or two until your experience is more competitive. But I wonder if there are going to be some benefits for people who would be strong or are on sort of a strong trajectory um, to really stand out. Of course, the other part of the calculation is if you wait for the next admission cycle, what are you going to encounter? You're right. going to have a lot mm -hmm. of deferrals that would have been granted. That, In other words, a lot of seats that will already be taken. Look, we're in a recession already, but we don't acknowledge it because there's a lag in the reporting. But we're going to be very evident to everyone here that we are going to be in a long, deep recession. And we know what happens to admission volume when a recession hits. It goes up. Yeah. Yeah. It's very possible that even though schools may be struggling with yield right now and are opening their doors in a way that they hadn't in many years, the next admissions round could very well be the most competitive round ever seen. Yeah, I think round one is going to be very tough. As you say, a lot of the places will have been spoken for already and more candidates will have been laid off by then. And what, what typically happens in a recession is that of the pool of people who may have applied at some point over the next year or two, a whole bunch of those people jump in at the same time and apply at the same point in time. So there's a big bump in application volume at the start of the recession. But as the recession continues, then application volume drops because you've pulled your pipeline forward to that point in time. And, you know, so I think it's going to be pretty crazy in the fall. But, you know, looking further down the line, in a year's time, I think schools will, will see a drop in application volume. Yep. But yes, the coming season is going to be tough for candidates. Which is another reason to take advantage of these extended timeframes. You know, the one thing that I think is that like with other recessions in the past, there's never been like a, a clear ending to the recession per se, right? With the 2008, everything fell apart and no one could say for sure when things were going to start to turn around. And obviously we can't quite do the same thing with coronavirus, but there are at least best estimates, right? There are pretty much, I think a lot of the scientific community is saying like, look, there's a really good chance that in the next two, three, six months, we're going to get a vaccine developed. And then let's assume it takes 12 months to get that vaccine proven and mass produced. You know what I mean? Like there's a since I believe that this is a health and scientifically driven recession, yeah. I, I do think that there's a definite end point as opposed to the sort of general uncertainty of, oh my gosh, the mortgage industry has fallen apart and when is it ever going to recover? So I'm a little I'm a little more bullish, I think. The recovery for next year. Yeah. The recovery could be faster than in previous recessions. Yeah. That's true. We should definitely hope for that. <laughs> we should hope for that. I would be concerned about the overhang of the debt, the federal debt, in trying to diminish the impact of the recession and help people and companies. My God, the debt levels are going to be 
out of this yeah. world. And I wonder how that could hinder an economic recovery. Yeah. So, you know, one other aspect of this, and it's playing out right now, is the fact that students and applicants, for that matter, are agreeing to come to a school, pay quite a bit of money for an MBA education that is a fully immersive, face-to-face, on-campus experience with a lot of social interaction, a lot of learning from their classmates, because let's face it, the professors orchestrate the conversations in many cases, but most of the learning in an MBA program occurs peer-to-peer. Networking is invaluable. It's often cited as one of the major reasons why people go and get an MBA. The ability to basically exercise your leadership muscles through co-curricular activities is a big part of the MBA experience. That's gone. And there are students that are now signing petitions saying, hey, this is not what I'm paying for. I think I should get a tuition refund. Stanford, over 700 students, roughly 80% of the entire MBA enrollment have signed a petition demanding a tuition refund for the spring term. And they're actually saying they should get an 80% discount based on how online courses and programs are are basically priced compared to -to face-to-face programs. What do you two think of this? Yeah, I think it's fair enough, right, that they're making this demand. I can totally understand how they feel about it. You know, on the other hand, the schools are in a difficult position. They hadn't planned for this either, right? They weren't planning to switch the, the students fully online and you know they have a lot of fixed costs so 80 percent is, is a huge demand to make but the schools who have deep pockets you know I, I think they should seriously consider if they can make some sort of rebate even if it's a you know goodwill gesture to to students to acknowledge that you know they haven't been able to offer the the, the experience that they would otherwise have liked I think we will start to see some sort of, you know, negotiation and and perhaps some sort of rebate for students. Maria? I do think that the schools are in a tough position, right? Because this is through no fault of their own, as with a lot of people right now who are suffering in the economy. This is nothing to do with their fault, you know, and they do have certain fixed costs. One thing that I was thinking, in addition to perhaps a tuition decrease, might be like, look, guys, we have these fixed costs. We need to charge you the tuition we do just because... We can't not pay professors and we have to, you know, we have to pay all these facilities and all these other operating costs. But I was thinking, you know, what if what could the schools do if they don't give a tuition reimbursement? What could they do to make it up to students? Right. Like, could they say, like, look, guys, we're still going to charge you whatever we're charging you. But if you come to our school, we're going to give you all of January off next year and we're going to do a fully expenses, all paid trip to I don't know, a beach somewhere in Mexico. So even though you guys, <laughs> you know what I mean? Beach. Like we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna compress, like all of that, all of that in-person bonding that you didn't get to do six months ago uh, or, you know, whatever it was, we're now going to artificially orchestrate it in a way where, you know, it, it'll be just basically like a huge paid for, not pure on vacation because that won't necessarily be useful, but, you know, some sort of, like let's all go spend a month somewhere and really get to know each other and do fun activities and go zip lining and make up, make up for lost time. Okay. So I, I'm almost wondering if they might think of something creative along those lines. Beach blanket bingo for MBAs. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, they could they could also offer them, 
you know, some di- future discount or um, freebie on exec ed, all right, mm. students will often come back to their, to their business school for refresher courses at a later date. So that could be something that the schools could offer that would have, you know, limited financial impact on the school, but would be a nice bonus for the students to, to have that option for the future. Or think about programs that had a January start date and you were in class for roughly a month, maybe, maybe a little bit more than a month. And now you're online and you have no idea when you're going to get offline and back in class. I would say that that's the most difficult situation of all. Yeah, I think especially because, you know, I think the most famous January start date, one of them that comes to mind, you know, is the Columbia J term. And then, you know, the ones that have January start dates tend to have shorter, shorter durations, right? They're either it's either a one year program or it's a, you know, year and a half roughly program. And so it's even it's that much worse, given that not only are they definitely going to be missing out on that in-person interaction over the summer, because I, I think it's safe to say that definitely over the summer it's going to be online, but as a percentage of the total experience, it might end up being, you know, 80% of their total time in the MBA program might end up being online. And so I do think that for those those poor folks, it is a, it's a tough bit of news to swallow. The one good news is that some people, especially in Columbia J term, tend to be sponsored candidates from their consulting firms or banks or what have you. So at least for them, they are more in it to, you know, stamp the just get the degree and move on. But that having been said, it's not a, I don't think it's a great situation for those folks. No, think about like NCOD, Caroline, yes, because yes, it's, it's a 10 month program only and it's it so is. incredibly intense. And a lot, and there's a lot of social interaction in that program. Yeah. I mean, right now for students on, on the one year format programs, this is, uh, you know, even, even bigger challenge. And, you know, I've talked to some candidates who are thinking about, you know, where they're going to apply in the future months or you know, even in the next season. And they are reconsidering plans to apply to one year programs because, you know, if you're going to be online for six months, that's at least half of your your program. Whereas if you go for a two year program, then, you know, it's it's a less significant chunk of the experience overall. So I think, you know, this is going to hit the, the one year programs extremely hard. Mm, that's that's a good point. So let me ask the two of you. Let's roll back the clock and say you're applying now. If you knew that your fall semester is going to be online, would you decide to hold off on your application or would you go for it? I'll, I'll take that one. I think, well, my, my answer is it depends. And I think it depends upon how strongly I were to view my own candidacy. Ah. I think if I had considered myself to be sort of a borderline you know, not super, super strong candidate, I think I would say, you know what, a top MBA is a top MBA. And if some of it's online, so be it. But now's a great time for me to get in. Uh, You're incredibly practical. If, yeah, no. But I think, you know, had I had I thought to myself, you know what, I've, I've got a pretty good shot no matter what, then I think I would I would have held off for a year. So sorry. I, I, know, I know you asked for like a yes or no. No, no, that's, I think that's, that's a, I think that's a really good answer. And I think that's a smart <laughs> answer. And I think people should really listen to that advice that you're providing. <laughs> Caroline? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you will gain a great deal for your M, from your MBA. And if now is the right time for you to, you know, to get that degree, um, then take a risk and, and, and go for it. And, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone will regret pursuing that program. Even if part of it is online, it's not going to be all online. You're going to get a lot of 
in-person interaction, I'm sure the schools will figure out a way of making it up to students if they feel that they've been shortchanged for part of the experience. So, you know, two or three years down the road, I don't think that this batch of students will have any regrets. Right. So for me, this Wednesday it will, will mark the fourth week that I have been sheltered in place right outside San Francisco. Uh, those of you who've listened to our previous podcast know that one of my guilty pleasures that I admitted to was this awful, toxic, but addictive reality TV show called Love is Blind. I've taken to Tiger King, watched all seven episodes. What are you two doing that you're embarrassed to admit? <laughs> I'm still baking. <laughs> oh, baking is a good thing. I love that. Yum. So I also have watched Tiger King. That was a pretty riveting train wreck. Totally. Um, and I'm trying to find ways to like exercise, like, you know, since the gyms are all closed, I'm like kind of, you know, trying to get creative with dancing around my kitchen and trying to like move in a way that does not require a treadmill. And so that's been that's been a fun challenge. But hey, I've got a, I've got a good playlist going and so I'm trying to trying to look on the bright side for that. All good stuff. Well, I thank you again and for all of you out there listening, here's your our advice. If you want to go to business school, take advantage of these extended deadlines. The odds are in your favor. I think it's more of a buyer's market today than it's been in quite some time. Know that if you wait for the next admissions year, you're going to face increased competition. We think the acceptance rates are going to be driven down, and it's going to be really hard for many people to get into a quality program. And if you want a tuition refund, well, you know, there are grounds for that, and maybe the school should make some sort of amends to you whether it be a beach blanket bingo uh, <laughs> vacation uh, when things clear and it's okay to be uh, very close instead of socially distant on a beach, whatever. Okay. <laughs> this is John Byrne with Poets and Quants and Business Casual. Thank you, Caroline, and thank you, Maria. And thanks to all of you for listening. <laughs>